Amen. Thank you, Matt, and worship team. In 2017, uh, my wife and I, we lost a very good friend of ours, a very dear friend of ours. Her name was Lynette. And she passed away on Friday. And in the midst of our grieving, I asked my wife, I said, what am I supposed to preach on? Uh, She was only 32 years old. And I didn't know at the time. And I was struggling with the message that I needed to bring. And so I called her husband, Sheldon. And him and I are are very, very close friends. Uh, We've done a lot of fishing together, a lot of shooting guns together. And he's a little bit older than I am. And he was a mentor of mine. He was one of my Sunday school teachers. And so I actually gave him a call. And I said, Sheldon, I don't know what to preach on. And he very firmly told me, he said, she would have wanted you to have preached truth and to give them the love of Jesus. And I've only known Bobby for a very short time, but I'm pretty sure Bobby would have wanted me to preach truth and the love of Jesus Christ this morning. Bobby was a man of truth, and he sure loved Jesus, didn't he, church? So this morning, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to try to preach the truth, and I'm going to do my best to do that. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading with verse 27, and this is the story of Jacob and Esau when they're already grown men, and this is what it says, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came home from the open country, famished, it says. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red stew, I am famished. And Jacob replied, well first, you've got to sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob says, you first have to swear it to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate it and drank, and then he got up and left. And the scripture says, so Esau despised his birthright. Growing up, My parents, growing up in a pastor's home, my parents were relatively strict, but they weren't over the top. They they gave us some leeway. They they let us be who we were. We were, uh, especially me and my brother, we were questionable teenagers. We were were kind of odd, and my parents let us be that way, but they were still relatively strict. And, And one of the rules in our house growing up was, you eat what's set before you, period. How many of you had that rule growing up? Yeah, a lot of you did. You, when mama cooks, that's what you eat. You shut up, don't say anything about it, and you eat it. And the other rule in my house was, if you don't like it, we don't care. You're going to take a minimum of two bites of it. That was my dad's rule. He says, you are going to try it. Your mom spent a lot of time making this dinner for you. We spent a lot of money on this food for you, and you are going to eat the food. And if we refuse, then either we had to sit at the table until we at least tried it, And if we didn't like it, guess what? We went to bed. We went to bed hungry. It didn't matter. You eat what's set before you. Now, my mother, it it really wasn't that hard. I always tell everybody, I didn't get this big by not eating, all right? I ate some food growing up. 
Uh, <laughs> right? I learned to like some food. But the truth is, my mother was an ex- or is an exceptional cook. She ma- has some, made some amazing meals. Oh my goodness, she knows how to cook. She has also made some meals that has made me question her love for me. Um, I, I, I will be honest. I know she's probably listening in live stream right now. She's going to watch it later. Uh, but she has made some meals, and I sit back, and I'm like, why did you make me eat that? Uh, one of the foods that I still despise today is lima beans. I, 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 I hate. Who, does anyone in here actually like lima beans? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Man, ew, lima beans are so gross, and if, and if we ever, if, we, if when we start having potlucks again, if you make lima beans, don't be offended, your preacher's not going to eat it, okay? I, I don't eat lima beans. However, my mom was a really good cook, and one of the things that, one of my favorite meals growing up was in the wintertime, when we'd be out sledding and having a good time in the snow, we'd come in, and my mom would have this amazing homemade beef stew, and she would pair that with cornbread. And what I would do is my mom's cornbread was always a little bit flaky. I would always crumble it into my, uh, into my, my beef stew. And that meal was amazing to me. I absolutely loved my mom's beef, beef stew. And then one day, I grew up and I joined the army. Now, we were out in the field, and, and we had come in, and it was in the wintertime. I was stationed in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I started basic in September, and at this time, it was December, and it was cold outside, and we were out early in the morning, and we were training all day long, and I came in, and we were tired, we were sweaty, we were dirty, and we were ready to eat. Well, when we lined up in formation, the drill sergeants always told us what we're having. There was always a menu. And he told us, you're having some beef stew, and what, is my, what do I automatically think of? Yes, my mom's beef stew. I got excited. I was like, yes, here we go. So I stand in formation, I get in line, and I, we open that chow hall door, and I grab my train, I line up. Oh, I can smell the beef stew. But I go down the line... And I grabbed my bowl of beef stew, and unfortunately, they didn't have cornbreads. They had biscuits, and that's okay. I like biscuits, too. And I get everything, and we sit it down. We were not allowed to touch our food until the drill sergeant said, you're allowed to eat. So we had to sit there, and the drill sergeant said, you can eat. And I got so excited. And I dug into my, well, what the Army called, beef stew. Ladies and gentlemen, that wasn't beef stew. It was, it was basically tomato juice with, I don't even think there was any other vegetables. I think it was just corn. And it was just corn, and I might have had two little teeny tiny bites of, of, of beef. And I'm sitting there so disappointed because it smelled good. And, and when, you're, when you're tired, you're wore out, you're dirty, you're sweaty, and you're cold, you just want that good homemade food. And so I eat the corn, I eat the, eat the, eat the beef stew, and I'm like, well, this is terrible. But I want to eat it because I'm hungry. So then I was like, you know what? I know it's not cornbread. Maybe the biscuit's okay. And I grabbed that biscuit. I nearly broke my tooth off of it. <laughs> I'm like, who makes biscuits this hard? I swear it was from, from the Vietnam era. I was like, this biscuit is not a biscuit. It's a rock. And so I, I, get, I eat my food, if that's what we want to call it. I eat it, and, and I go, and I stand in formation, and I started craving. I was like, you know what? Yeah, my belly's halfway full. But I started craving it. I started craving my mom's beef stew. I started craving that, that homemade cornbread. Oh, it was, my appetite wasn't hungry for whatever the army chow hall called beef stew. My, my appetite was hungry for mama's beef stew. And I started craving it, and I just wanted it, and I focused on it. And that's all I could think of that night when I was on fire guard duty. I was like, man, I just really, 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 really want that. And that's all I could think about. 
And you know what's interesting? As I was thinking about that moment, that, that moment that I started craving my mom's beef stew, I started thinking about our lives as Christians, our own personal lives. All of us have a stew in our life that we crave. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about unity, we've been talking about healing, and we've been talking about having empathy for other people. But today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about us as individuals. I'm going to have us look at our own lives for a minute. You see, all of us have a stew in our life that holds our focus, that holds our attention, a stew in our life that when our appetite flares up, that's all we want. Now, this stew doesn't have to be food. The stew can be anything. The stew can be bad habits. The stew can be money. The stew can be drugs, alcohol, tobacco. Stew can be work, school, sex. The stew really can be whatever we want it to be. But the reality is all of us have a stew in our life that we crave and our appetite drives us toward. And so I want to stand here before you this morning and I want to ask you, what is your stew? Better yet, make it personal. What is my stew? What is it in my life that I crave? What is it that my appetite drives me toward? What is my stew? In the story of Jacob and Esau, his stew was, it was literally stew. Uh, it, it was this lentil stew, or what they call the red stew, and, and Esau's appetite drove him toward the stew. In that moment, that's all he wanted, that's all he could think about. Now, we just read the story, and we all know this story, right? What did Jacob do? Well, Jacob used that stew as a trap, right? He said, I, I know my brother when he comes home from his long journeys and his hunting trips. I know my brother, and he's, he's always hungry, so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to make the best stew. Better yet, I'm going to go to my mom and get her recipe. I'm going to make sure that I, I make the stew that he's going to crave. And I know he's going to want it, and that's all his attention is going to be focused on. So what am I going to do? Well, Jacob devised a scheme and he said, I'm not going to give you any stew till you give up your birthright. Now, the birthright meant that Esau was going to become the man of the house. Everything that was his father's was now going to be his because we know his father was dying. And so the birthright, as being the older child, we know they're twins, right? And Esau was born first, so he is the older child, even though they're twins, meant that he got the birthright. He got every, when, his, when his dad was gone, he's the man now. And Jacob said, nah, I want that. And Jacob took advantage of his brother's appetite it was a trap for Esau to satisfy his appetite. And when we think about our own personal lives, it's very easy for us to focus on the stew, right? Think about those moments when that appetite flares up. It's very easy for us to focus on the stew. In that moment, it was easy for Esau to focus on the stew. Why? Because he was hungry. Better yet, it says that he was famished. In modern America, I, don't really, I honestly don't think really many of us, I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not going to generalize, but I assume many of us don't know what that means. And maybe you do. 
And so if you do know what that means, you, 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 can, you, can, you can really empathize with him, right? You can know what that means to be, to, to be starving. He said, I, I, I'm famished. I need the stew. And so what did he do? He was focusing on the stew. He said, That's, at this point, I don't even care. You, you take the birthright. Just give me something to eat. I am so famished. And often we personify the stew in our lives. We so often blame it as if it has some kind of power over us. Right? We give it power over our lives. A great example of this is coffee. Raise your hand if you're a coffee drinker in here. Yeah, so am I. I love me some good coffee, but what do we say when we wake up in the morning? Oh, I can't do anything unless I have my coffee. Right? We, we give it, that's the reality, is, it, is, is these stews in our lives, we give it power like it has some kind of control over our lives. Right? Oh, I have to have it. Oh, my day will be ruined if I don't have it. And we focus all our attention on, our, on the stew in our life. And here's the interesting thing. Often, the stew is a natural, non-personified reality that is the target of our appetite. The stew is just the target of our appetite. If, it's a, if we have a habit, well, we focus on it. We focus on that very habit. If we have an addiction, we do whatever we need to do to get that, 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 that fix. We do what we need to get what we're addicted to. If we have a lust, we need to satisfy that desire. Oh, I need him. Oh, I need her. We do whatever we can. But here's the thing, though. We focus on the stew and we think that we need it or that we want it. And the truth is, it is our appetite that is driving us toward it. You know, we want the thing, right? Oh, yeah, we, we want that. But the reality is, it is the appetite within us that is driving us towards that thing. The thing has no power over us. It's just a thing, whatever it is. The stew is just, it's just a stew. It's just a bowl of stew or, or, or whatever, your, whatever your stew is. It's just a thing. It doesn't have any power over you. The reality is the power is coming from the appetite within. You are giving that object, that thing, power. An appetite, by definition, is a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need. You see, Esau, in the story, he was, a, he was what you can call a, a man's man, right? He was a brooly guy. He was, he was the definition of a man. He was a hunter. He was a, a hard worker, a man that loved the outdoors. And because of his long journey, he came home, and he was hungry, and he had an appetite, didn't he? He had an appetite, and that appetite needed satisfied. That appetite needed to be quenched and in the NIV, the, the translators actually use an English word that portrays the intensity of his appetite. He says, quick. Or, or another way that we can say that is right now. He said, look, I have this appetite that is, that is, that is literally killing me. I'm famished. And he says, I need it satisfied right now. Now, it cannot wait. No matter what you want to take from me, you can take it. I need this satisfied now. And then we see in verse 31, Jacob sees an opportunity to take the coveted birthright. And then in verse 34, what does it say? Esau despised his birthright. It says he despised it. If you do any word studies on, on the words that they use in the original translation, it can actually be translated to, he undervalued it. 
He, undervalued, he, didn't, he didn't fully respect what the birthright meant. He gave up his birthright for what? A bowl of stew. He had an appetite that he believed needed to be satisfied that very moment. Esau neglected the long-term value for the short-term gratification. He said, I don't care what the long-term value is. I need satisfied right now. How many times of our lives have we taken the stew? Let's change that word. How many times have we taken the sin, the short-term gratification for right now, and we've given up our birthright to heaven? Because when you become a child of God, your birthright's heaven. Did you guys know that? An eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, an eternity with Him. Yet, our stew, what we have a tendency to do is our appetite forces us to focus on the stew. So we say, I need that bowl. I need that instant gratification right now. Forget about my birthright. Forget about heaven. Forget about all the glories to come. I need a bowl of red stew. For what, church? Gave up his birthright. For a bowl of stew. And we condemn him for that. We've all read this story. But the reality is how often do we do that? Here's what we need to understand. Our appetite actually intensifies our desire for more stew. Appetites can be driven by different things, okay? So everyone's appetite's different. First is physical, right? I need things I can touch, taste, feel, or smell. Appetites are driven by the physical, emotional. I need more emotional support, emotional care. Appetites are driven by relational things. I need someone to support me in my life. I can't live without you fill in the blank. So appetites are driven by different things. Our appetites actually intensify our desire for those things. So yes, the, the, the stew, the, it's very appealing. It's very satisfying to look at. And, and yeah, we want the stew, but the reality is it's our appetites that are coming from within that really drive our desire for it. We're willing to sacrifice everything because of our appetites to get whatever it is. And these come from all different angles. And there's three things that we should know about appetites, church. Number one, God created and sin distorted them. God created appetites, guys. We all have them. We all have earthly appetites. Did you know God created sex? <gasps> Pastor said it. I'm not supposed to talk about sex, right? The, the truth is God created sex for our pleasure. Oh, it's getting real quiet now. <laughs> right? God created sex in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that's counterculture right now. I don't care. It's between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. Sin distorted it. It's become this nasty, taboo thing. Oh, don't talk about sex, preacher. That's a bad, sex isn't a bad thing, guys. As long as it's within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Sin's what distorted it. God created these appetites, but sin distorted it. I have an appetite for food. How many of you are probably sitting here right now looking at your watch thinking, preacher, you've got to hurry up when the Baptists get to that restaurant? right? Because you don't want to wait on that food, right? We, we all have an appetite for food. All of us do. However, gluttony will kill me. God created it. Sin distorted it. That's the first thing you need to know about appetites. Secondly, appetites are never fully satisfied. They're not. Our appetites, if left unchecked, will leave us never fully satisfied, and we know this to be true. How many of us on Thanksgiving dinner stuff ourselves to the point that we're about to explode? 
I can't be the only one. How many of us do that? Come on now. Yeah. And then we take our beautiful, oh, I love that nap. It is the best nap ever. Right? We stuff ourselves to the point of exploding, and then we go take our afternoon nap. And then if you're like your preacher, what do you do? You wake up from your nap, and you go poke around that kitchen looking for leftovers, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Who here loves a good turkey sandwich on one of those leftover rolls? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. They're delicious, right? Well, why? Because our, 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 we, we just stuffed ourselves to the, point of, you know, to the point of it hurt. But our appetite's never fully satisfied. We're always going to want more. If left unchecked, our appetites are never satisfied, guys. And then your appetites also whisper, now, never, later. Your appetites always say, you have to have it right now. Never later. It can't wait. You're famished. If you wait, it's going to hurt. You have to have it right now. And so we have a tendency to trade in the ultimate for the immediate. We do it now. And what happens when we allow our appetites to be left unchecked is this, is they focus our attention. All we will think about is them. When our appetites are left unchecked, our focus is only on those things. And then our appetites drive our actions. So when my attention is focused on that one thing, I have to have it, I need it, I need it right now, don't even question it, what do we do? We act on it, and we get it, don't we? When our appetites are left unchecked, what do we do? Oh, we get it, and we do it. And then guess what happens? It leaves us wanting, not just wanting, but wanting more. When left unchecked, guys, appetites are very, very dangerous. And they leave us longing for what? Well, they leave us longing to be satisfied. We desire to be satisfied. We want that fulfillment. And so here's where I'm going to sort things out. Is temporary versus the potential for permanency. I'm reminded of John chapter 4. This is Jesus' interaction with a woman, and we often call her the woman at the well since, well, she doesn't really have it, she's never given a name. And so Jesus is interacting with this woman who, by all other accounts, was someone that he should not have been talking to, not in private, not in public, not anywhere. And if you look at the story, she was so lost in the temporary things, right? She was focused on the water, the buckets, the deep well. She was so focused on all the temporary things of the world that she was missing the point of what Jesus was trying to offer She said, let me have that so I never thirst again. She was thinking of actual physical thirst. But Jesus is saying, no, look, I'm going to give you eternal life so that void in your life that you're feeling, that you're trying to satisfy, I can fill that. And the question is this, how often do we exist that way? How often do we focus our lives on the temporary things, looking to satisfy our appetites with temporary things, sex, drugs, money, politics, habits, hobbies, cars, relationships, often neglecting that which will ultimately satisfy our souls, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, guys. We try to fill this void with everything else, and Jesus is standing there saying, you will never be fully satisfied. You will always want more. To feel that satisfaction, you have to come to me. I will fill that void. Plain and simple. Jesus was redirecting her to something her soul was desperately longing for, which was what? Restoration and hope. Restoration. What was her bolus do? Well, it was bad relationships. Go back and read the story. And so the questions then are this. What does your bolus do, church? 
What is, what is your bowl of stew? What in your life is driving your appetite? And what is your appetite driving you toward? Is it the temporary things of this life? Are you chasing the material things, the physical things, the emotional things that things are going to be here today and gone tomorrow? Or are you focused on the eternal things? The restoration, the healing, the unity, the hope, all the things that come from Jesus Christ. What are we focusing on, church? And friends, there's only one thing that we can do. If you want to fix this, there's only one thing that we can do, and that is to surrender. Plain and simple, church, that's all we can do. And this is a very intentional act, and it's not to myself, but it's to the power of Christ. It is surrendering to Him that lives within me. You see, I will either surrender to two things. Number one, my bowl of stew, or I will surrender to Christ. And it's a very intentional act. And the choice is ours. Am I going to surrender every... Am I going to give up... Am I going to give up my birthright to spend an eternity with God for a bowl of stew? Because the things that we're chasing are just as silly as that bowl of stew, guys. Am I going to surrender my life to a bowl of stew or am I going to surrender it all to Christ? It's the only two options we have. And what I find so interesting is the, the things that we surrender to to this life are never, never fulfilling. And they only leave us hungry for more and more and more and more. And when I get more, then I move on. Because the bowl of stew in our lives is only temporary satisfaction. Esau moves on. If you go back and read that story, you see that he moved on. And it appears that he actually had forgotten that he made the deal. But Jacob didn't forget. You see, in that moment, Esau needed that instant satisfaction, that instant gratification. And when he got it, he forgot that he sold his birthright. But Jacob didn't forget. And the truth is, our appetites don't forget. It is a driving, insatiable force that will take us further, keep us longer, and cost us more than we ever intended to allow it to. Are we surrendering to a bowl of stew? Or are we surrendering to Jesus Christ? What are we surrendering to, guys? The temporary or the permanent eternity with Jesus Christ? The choice is ours. What are you surrendering to? Worship team, if you will. Church, if you will, stand with us again.
way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 You are way maker, miracle worker. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the light in the darkness. And again, Lord, we want to lift up the families who are grieving right now. Again, Lord, we pray that you just be their peace and their comfort. And Father, I do want to lift up this church. Lord, I pray that each of us will stop chasing the bowls of stew in our life. And we will learn to surrender it all to you. Because, Lord, you are the way maker. So right now, Lord, I pray that you help us to focus on you. Lord, give us the freedom from whatever it is that's hindering us. And, Lord, as we go about this week, each of us going to our own areas, Lord, I pray that you help all of us to be the light and the salt in our communities. Lord, help us to be the beacon of unity and hope and help us to share your love. And it's in your glorious name that we pray. And everybody say, amen. God bless you guys and I love you.